0: But um, yep. I, think, I think Euripides has a ton of play. I really do. I think I he, do too. I think he's uh, overlooked. I think the old ways is kind of silly, and you can probably build around it. Yeah. Um, but I, I, I like the crew, and he's, he's great with the crew. I played him before. Uh, the changeling thing really, really uh, tricked me out, and it was really tight going through like the first three turns. It was only like the last two turns where I was able to start removing some pieces and uh, picking up a lot of those interacts because they had models that could interact while engaged.
1: If you're like me, you miss playing in tournaments. Well, a group of people in the Northeast had a chance to do just that. And we're going to talk to two of the people that made the podium. Adam Talbot and Josh, talk to us how they made podium. What list did they bring? What did they face? And what were some of the key decisions that determined whether they were at the top or the bottom of the heap? Stick around to the end, because in the last segment, we cover a somewhat recent discussion you've been seeing on AWP centered around summoners. Do these guys think summoners are inherently overpowered? It's a good discussion. Enjoy. Playing
0: a tabletop strategy game allows you to unplug and test your skills against friends. Every week, Third Floor Wars delivers useful strategies, discussions, battle reports and reviews to tabletop games like Malifaux. If you want to get
1: better at the games you already play or discover the games other people are playing, you are in the right place. Craig and Ray welcome you to the Third Floor and the Tabletop Talk Broadcast. Craig here on the third floor today. We're talking to the two players that made the podium for a recent in-person event in the Northeast. Now, they had enough players that felt comfortable with the safety protocols in place, and they did something that a lot of us wish we could do, and that is actually stand across the table from somebody else and play Malifaux, or in my case, lose at Malifaux. My guests today are Adam Talbot and Josh Guida. Now, Adam's been on the show before. I'm sure you heard his Dashiell Deep Dive uh, that we did, uh, one of our more popular uh, Deep Dive episodes um, as far as recent ones goes. So uh, welcome back to the third floor, man. How you doing, Craig? Always nice to see you. Good to see you. Now, during the Dashiell Deep Dive, we got your uh, uh, sultry-ish uh, history of tabletop gaming. So I don't want to uh, put us through that again. But I would like to hear about what you have been playing. So obviously, you've been playing Malifo, But if you had a chance to play anything else or hobby in general?
0: Yeah, I, I find Malifaux to be, for me at least, just largely my competitive game. So when there's not competitive events going, I tend to use that time to mingle into other games so i've been recently playing some aos uh mm. i did start toying around with the uh latest edition of 40k and um and? I'm, I'm not disappointed it's that's good it's actually you know what i mean it's 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 a game's it's a game's workshop game so it's never going to be it's never going to be like Malfo. it's never going right. to be strictly uh, strategic and tactical but for what it is it's a lot of fun it's way more balanced than it was and uh, it actually it actually takes a lot of what Malfo is good at, which is it secondary does. objectives and yeah. uh, objective based scenarios. So, it's actually the addition's good. Will they keep it that way? Who knows? I mean, the track record <laughs> the track record stands for itself. But um, yeah, I've been having fun with
1: that, and I'm just uh, I've been playing my Arcanists
0: and I'm gonna be starting my Outcast soon.
1: So. Very nice. Yeah, I was just recently a guest. Um, and by the time this comes out, that episode will come out. So a good group of guys that do a 40K podcast and um, they have been mal- malicurious. <laughs> so they came across me and they asked me to come on the show because they've heard more than a few times me levy my opinion on GW games. Uh, so I went into the lion's den on that one because they love 40K. Um, uh, but we had a real good conversation and they kind of updated me on the most recent edition. And uh, the one thing that they said is that it is obvious that they have been watching weird because there's some there are some concepts that they've picked up. Um, It was it was a good episode. uh, And I'm sure that I've already uh, told people to go check it out. Um, But one of the things that um, and I think you'll probably agree with this, Adam, until they finally stop with the you go, I go. And they finally just make some sort of uh, alternating activations. um, I just don't think they're going to come into the modern rule set yeah i mean they've they've done a lot to to counter that um i think a
0: lot because a lot of the scoring now happens you have to have something at the objective for the next turn so it's okay. not, and and not only that but a lot of the units when they they interact now with these with these objectives interesting and, uh, <laughs> and they can't do anything else for the most part they just have to be there so like i said they definitely stole a lot of things from weird my problem is again is the track record is always always going to be power creep yeah um, i mean it's you look at Age of Sigmar and it was pretty balanced for like maybe half a year. And then they started to come out with new armies and new armies, were always more powerful. So, but that's neither here nor there.
1: Yeah. But you know, at the same time, yeah, the, the models are pretty. It's fun to get there and roll shit ton of dice and, you know, have fun with it. And, um, there's nothing wrong with it. It's, uh, for me, the reason I don't play it anymore is I couldn't keep up with the rules. Um, it seemed like, you know, a new book was coming out every week and every new book changed the rule sets and, I just couldn't keep up, Um, and I don't slight anybody that uh, plays it. It's just I just don't have time, Um, but I'm glad that you're enjoying it, Adam. That's good. So uh, Josh, Josh has been playing tabletop games for four-some-odd years now, and I did not know this, but Malifaux was his first tabletop game, which I've always found interesting. I've got a good buddy of mine who has the same story, and boy, talk about drinking from the fire hose right out of the gate. (laughs) So uh, Josh, welcome to the third floor. Hey, thanks for having me. So let's hear the story. Uh, you knew nothing about tabletop gaming, and then what happened?
2: Yeah, so, I mean, I knew of, of you know, 40K and Warhammer stuff, but I'd never been exposed to it. And I got into the hobby through painting figures for D&D. Ah. And then having all these things lying around and wondering, if you know, is there anything else I can do with them other than, you know, play a, one night a week with my friends? So I saw, looking for smaller scale tabletop games, I saw the promo art of Raspbian 2E. Nice. And that was pretty much it you know I was, I was hooked after that all those ice monsters got me
1: <laughs> that's cool so now did your painting of D&D come from playing D&D and needing the figures
2: yeah I, I DM a lot of sessions and we got sick of using the cardboard figures and so I started picking up you know these models and then we got sick of them being white and gray on the table so it's a it's a slippery slope
1: yeah it sure is um so when it comes to Malifaux, do you consider yourself as much a painter and hobbyist as a player, or do you think play the play piece is a bigger part for you? I would say
2: only because I'm real lazy about my painting. Sometimes uh, <laughs> the play part takes a yeah. takes a bigger. I'm working on a 40k a Grey Knights army for 40k right now, wow. and it's been six months. I've gotten two figures done. I'm real proud
1: of that. That is <laughs> so, that's a hell of a pace, Josh. <laughs> So by 12th edition, you're ready to go. Oh, yeah, they're going to be ready. (laughs) That's funny. So I'd be curious, then, the next question would be, um, you know, you sit down and you learn Malifaux, right? You really didn't have much of a template to work from outside of, you know, maybe some of the combat, the way it's handled in uh, D&D. What was the hardest thing to wrap your head around um, as far as a skirmish level, you know, competitive miniatures game? I would say... I.
2: I lost a lot when I started and I think I lost a lot because I didn't have an eye for the table and seeing, you know, the, the pattern of pieces moving forward and okay, this guy's going to go over here. Obviously he's the flanking piece. Oh, here's the schemer. Um, and that was, I mean, once I was able to develop that and be able to look at the table and at a glance say, okay, here are the pieces and here's how the puzzle fits together. That's what, I think that's what you know, took me to where I am, I guess. I don't know if I'm great yet, but...
1: <laughs> well, you're on Third Floor Wars. You got to be good, right? <laughs> so uh qu- question for you then, Josh. Was there? Was it a breakthrough or was it just a matter of playing a ton of games? I think it was just, yeah,
2: I was just playing games. Uh I spent the first three years coming in at the bottom and getting the wooden spoon. And then, you know, I, f- I found my... I found my my love in Kirai. Nice. And, and her versatility. Good. Yeah, and then... um
1: you know, I I got my
2: skills after that, I guess. Everything came together.
1: Very nice. So I guess obviously first question. Adam, how'd you finish on this event?
0: I finished in uh, I finished in first. Three wins, no losses. Uh twenty-three out of twenty-four uh um, victory points. So geez, that's good. What was your diff? Uh plus thirteen, I think, or somewhere. Very nice. There. Uh no, I must have been more than that. But I know all I know is uh I mean, they were pretty good games for the most part. A lot of the points obviously come at the end, so I yep. don't know how it's going to finish out to the end of the game. Sure,
1: and how about you, Josh? How'd you finish? Uh, I finished third. Very nice. Very, very nice. And we couldn't, just incidentally, um, Adam, who finished second? Uh, my friend and uh, clubmate, Jared Sequeira. Yeah, Jared. Mm-hmm. And unfortunately, Jared couldn't make it on the show, otherwise obviously we would have him on here. Um, So, Josh, the first question I want to ask you is, um, you know, as the idea of this event starts to come together, um, I mean, this was planned and executed in a world of COVID. um, What did that look like? Um, Was there feelers put out? Was it a do we feel comfortable doing this or we're going to set the date and then see how things are? Can you give me an idea of uh, what that looks like in kind of the modern world?
2: Yeah. So the Jesse, uh Jesse, the guy that put this together was very clear at the beginning that this was going to be a uh a COVID, you know, ready, a COVID aware event. So we we're gonna be at least six feet apart at all times, hand sanitizer on hand, everybody wore a mask the whole time. So it was really just a matter of, okay, how bad is it gonna be in that area at that point? You know, are you comfortable even going there and taking that risk? Right. Uh, but it was really well handled. I think. I mean, in my good. eyes, yeah.
1: No, Jesse's a friend of the show. He's a good guy, real good guy. Um, and how many players did we end up with? Ten overall, I think. That's not bad. That's yeah, not had, bad. Yeah, we had
0: ten. There was uh, a few people that uh, ended up having to drop late, so we were looking at around like the twelve, thirteen mark, fourteen. If Jesse had to ring, but uh, yeah, ten for the first for the first live play tournament in uh, in months. So I was actually pretty impressed with that. Yeah.
1: And, um, I mean, was it nice to play three different people again? I mean, what was it like, Adam? You know what's funny is I
0: actually played two people I always play because that's the way it always is. (laughs) Right. Um, And I got to dodge dodge, uh, Josh again because every time we're at an event, for some reason, we just never end up playing. Yeah, I don't think we've ever hit in third. No, in second edition, we used to end up playing all the time. Now Towards the end of second, when we were traveling for tournaments, uh, we used to end up running into each other playing all the
1: time. But in third edition, we have not played yet. So I keep dodging that bullet because that, dirty. that's what always happens to me, too. I feel like I travel and, you know, I usually end up with two or three NC people with me and sure enough first round that's who i'm gonna play yep. um and then second round i i'm always gonna play travis wayforth um so <laughs> luckily, <laughs> luckily that's never gonna happen again so <laughs> yeah what are you <laughs> um but uh well guys let's take a quick break when we get back from the break i want to talk about round one so round one was a corner corrupted ley lines we'll be right back Hi, my name is Noah Suderman, and my dad is a Patreon supporter of Third Floor Wars. I listen to tabletop talk because of the hard work and effort that Craig Shipman puts into every podcast so that his viewers can become better mouthful players. What is it worth to you to get this podcast on a weekly basis? Is it worth a dollar a month, five dollars a month, twenty dollars a month? If you'd like to help support, the work that we're doing here on third floor wars please go buy our patreon we're at patreon.com slash third floor wars there you can pledge at any level any dollar amount whatever you give us will help us put out quality content on a regular basis and hopefully make tabletop gaming a little bit better for you every week time for a special shout out to our newest patrons uh, i want to thank Eloy, robo rotten jacob suderman Joshua Hatch, Donald Kroger, John Fox, David Gadea, Anthony Nguyen, and Alexander Moritzen. Because of you and the hundred other plus uh, patrons, I'm able to put out quality content on a regular basis. I appreciate your support. So round one, corner corrupted ley lines. The scheme pool was a runic binding. Leave your mark. Let them bleed, spread them out, catch and release. So, Josh, let's start off with uh, who you played against. So I was playing against uh, Jesse Ravicki, a uh, guy that okay. I know.
2: He's from Connecticut, right near me.
1: Yep. Uh, now, is that Cody Ravicki's brother? It is, yep. Yeah, Cody, Cody's a friend of the show. He's, he does our, our part of our live stream uh, RPG uh, that we do on Twitch. Oh. Um, Cody, Cody's a real good guy. Uh, I've not met his brother before. Um, so uh, you're bringing what? So into this match, uh,
2: and into all three matches actually, I brought Kyri, Uh Not okay. having played for six months,
1: I was getting real lazy and nervous about the rust. So I brought something that I knew. And so was that a conscious decision? You're like, I'm just going to play Kurai all three rounds, or did, is that how it ended up? Uh, I actually, yeah, I, I had I had a I had something in my pocket for round two,
2: but we changed up the uh, we changed up the strategy on that. So I went with
1: I just went <laughs> ended up going with Kirai again. And how much variability, and we're going to get into a specific list, but I'd be curious how much your list changed from round to round. Uh, with Kirai, this time I actually ended
2: up playing the same list all three rounds. Uh, there's not really much flex in Kirai as a list. I'm really only changing out one model, so right. that's just how it played out. So let's talk about that list. What did we have for round one? Uh, so I brought Kirai with the Whisper upgrade, and Akirio yep. came with her. Uh, Datsuba, Chakuna Ubume, the Lost Love... A Shikome with the Grey Spirits Touch, two Onryo, and two
1: Seishon. Very nice. I like that. And um, kind of, what's the game plan, right? So you're sitting down there. You see, uh, and, and what did um, uh, Mr. Raviki bring? Uh, so he had a Ma crew. Uh, he had Ma okay. Tuckett with the
2: last. Trixie Bell, Big Brain Bryn, a Bushwhacker, a Survivor,
1: and two Rooster Riders with
2: Inferiority Complex.
1: Now, he doesn't he realize that Ma's garbage now? Since uh, Gaining Grounds won why would he bring Ma? <laughs> I, she certainly doesn't seem that She's way to me. She's not garbage. I get so no. angry at people. <laughs> she still drives me crazy. She's phenomenal. She's still really good. Um, but uh, people are silly. So give me an idea, Josh, then the game plan, right? So models haven't even hit the table yet. You're staring at across the table. You see that Ma crew. You know what crew you've got. You take a look at the, uh, at the five schemes. Which schemes did you pick and why? Uh, so Ma Ma is a a
2: big problem for me if she sticks around in her bubble because Bryn is going to be able to shut me down and then she's going to be able to put me in the ground. Yeah. Uh, so I decided, you know, I'm just going to I'm going to spread out as much as I can, try to draw them off so that I can pick them off one by one and then you know turn three or four I'll be able to push into the center and take the center.
1: And I, is there a big concern about you getting drawn into her?
2: I don't think so. She doesn't have much to draw me out. And the ghosts just have so much movement power and the ability to reposition that it's not much of a danger,
1: even yeah, with Trixie. Okay. And so, what were your two picks? Uh,
2: so, I ended up taking Leave Your Mark and uh, Catch and Release.
1: Okay. Okay. And uh, so, talk to me about deployment. So, uh, models at the table, is there a thought process? Um, and is it, a, do you pretty much, deploy your karai the same way always or is there a variability depending on what you're looking at uh it's
2: going to depend on what i want to do most of the time but in corner your options are so limited that it's really just put them up at the front and then i ended up getting defender this game so i was reacting to his mod deployment but he put them up in the front as well so we were just kind of facing off across the
1: board and in the first turn or two was there anything that unfolded that either took you by surprise or things pretty much go to plan uh, so he dropped his
2: Bushwhacker on one of the markers for Ley Lines, which had me worried because he could very easily throw somebody over there and have them toss uh, the what is it? The token, the marker to them. Yep, the stone, right? The stone, yeah. And uh, so that would have been a problem. So my first priority was removing his ability to get that easy marker and make him come to the middle.
1: Mm-hmm. And, how, uh, and what did we
2: do? Yeah, so luckily I can I can shoot a ghost or two from corner from one corner of the board to the other corner of the board turn one. So amazing. <laughs> it's real easy to just get in people's faces. And that's kind of what I did. I threw I had Datsuba and the Sation walk Akirio as close to the bushwhacker as I could get her. Uh and then I had Karai pop out Agorio, which I threw into the middle of his crew just to keep them occupied. Yep. Yep. And that ended up working out pretty well.
1: And it's something that I don't think people realize until they actually go up against uh, Karai is that um, if she doesn't kill you, she's going to just suck your AP. Um, She can just tie stuff up and tarp hit you. And, you know, you've only got so many models and so many turns. And, you know, if she's stealing an AP here, if she's taking you two turns to kill something and instead of, uh, you know, or two activations versus one activation to kill something, uh, you're losing the battle um, and she's wearing you down. So uh, final score. Uh, so this ended up
2: going five to two after everything rung out um and I believe I ended up scoring uh three off of the strategy and two for the schemes I got and was it just the first point on the two schemes? yeah, it was the first point um it's it's real difficult to score those those second points sometimes, especially when you're going up a uh, up against a crew like Moz.
1: Yeah, yeah, definitely. Well, that's a nice win. Um, looking back on it now, Josh, did you leave anything on the table? Is there something that you should have done different? Um, no, I think this game, I got, I got real lucky in
2: the early team, early uh, turns in this game, and so there was, it was just a matter of wrapping it up
1: and, and denying him the points in the end. You, you became the control, and it was, it was on him to try to, to try to make up and catch up. Yeah, tossing that Gorio in
2: first turn, I did their uh, their bonus action explosion, um, violent ghosts, I think it's called. Yep, and ended up hitting the moderate damage on three out of the four things that I hit with it. So his crew was, you know, his crew took a beating in that first turn, and it took
1: him a while to recover. And by that point, the game had run away. Yeah, very very nice. So Adam, uh, first of all, uh, did you bring Arcanist? I did. I played Arcanist uh, for okay. the tournament. Okay, and who'd you go up against? Uh, I actually went up against Cody. I went up against Cody with PK. So. Okay, Cody. <laughs> yeah, it was
0: a uh, It was an Arcanist uh, Civil War, so. Um,
1: <laughs> oh, I don't know if I knew Cody played Arcanist. I got to yeah, maybe, maybe do some, be some recasting on the <laughs> RPG. <laughs> <laughs> so what did uh, Cody bring? What did you bring?
0: Uh, Cody brought Karis into Ooh. into this, um, which I didn't expect. Like, I, I kind of expected either for him to go with, um, with a Colette, maybe. Um, but he ended up going with Karras. I and brought he's done like me, put,
1: I brought Karras into uh, ley lines. <laughs> I,
0: yeah, I just well, I just I love I love Hoffman into ley lines. I just I love him to ley lines. I my goal going into this was I wanted to go Iron Scorpius and play three different masters. Nice. Um, and so when we got the when we got the tournament kit, uh we knew what the strats were in the schemes ahead of time. So Hoffman was my plan going into round one regardless. And what is it about the Hoffman crew that makes them good in lay lines in your mind? Um, Hoffman plus fast plus core, if you do it, equals they can't stop you getting lay lines. Equals points. Yeah. yeah. So um, and particularly in this pool, um, I ended up going with catch and release and leave your mark. Um, and I find that a lot of the little movement tricks that Hoffman has and his crew with the two inch pushes here and there. Yep. Gets them out of uh, gets them out of engagement. They can drop scheme markers. They can go where they need to go. Um, it's very durable, uh, in my list, particularly I bring two buff bots. So, um, there's a lot of healing involved and, um, I, I, I like him a lot in this probably more than Colette because a lot of the movement tricks are pushes and speed as opposed to places.
1: Right, right, and uh, what I say about Hoffman is, as you come for the armor, you stay for the movement. I think that the, the movement tricks of Hoffman are really where where his strength gets unlocked. Um, so I'm completely with you. Um, so uh, you, uh, what was your final score? Uh, eight three eight four. Oh um, wow! Yeah, I got I got eight. I want to I want to say he got four.
0: I had a plan that I had going into it, and it worked. So when your plan works, generally that's when you get a score. And us hear the plan. All right, so he ended up bringing. Karis, a fire golem, Carlos, fire starter, Elijah, and a fire gammon. Okay. Um, I brought Hoffman, mechanical attendant, the mobile toolkit, Corfie Duet, Hunter with magical training, uh, Peacekeeper, and Howard Langston with Soulstone Cache.
1: So I got to tell you, Adam, I've not played Hoffman. I've not played against Hoffman yet in third. Um, but the rumblings I hear is that the cats aren't worth it, but you brought a cat. What What do you like about him? So in particular with this matchup
0: um, knowing it was Ley lines and with catcher release in the pool especially if he's playing Karas, he has two models that are going to probably try and score that it's going to be carlos it's going to be the fire starter right knowing where the Ley lines are allows me to know where those models are going so i can send my hunter out with catcher release on him he has deadly pursuit so even if he for some reason he gets pushed away he's he's just a couple inches out I can sneak him in at the end of the turn, score the points for catch or release. They have a decent number of hitboxes. He still has armor too, and he's fast enough where once he gets that off, he can beat feet and get out of dodge and still remain safe.
1: So um, the impression I get about Hoffman is you, you kind of end up claiming a part of the board, right? So. That ends up being the centerpiece of the Hoffman crew, and then they work around that. Um, Is that what you found yourself doing here is saying, okay, you know, I'm going to I'm going to node off of Hoffman. Hoffman's going to be controlling this area and then, you know, we're going to play off of that. Or are you spreading out? I mean, how are you handling this situation?
0: So because I had leave your mark, my plan was to have Hoffman, Peacekeeper, Howard Langston and the two buff bots. They were going to control the center of the board. Yeah, not much is going to get through that between the healing there, between the buffs there of the focus, the power stones, two big beaters. Uh, Howard Langston with the soul stone cache and get those triggers. Um, it's a solid core that can hold the center. I have two fast scheme running models in the Corfie Duet and the Hunter. Both of those can take out any scheme runners they're sending at them. Right. So my goal was to split those out to both flanks. Have the hunter chase around either Carlos or the fire starter to get the catch and release. Have the core free duet just scoring lay lines because every turn it can score it just between fast and splitting and shenanigans um, and just hold the center. And
1: that's what ended up happening. So, you know, normally Adam, I like to find out, you know, what you would have changed, but you scored eight points, you won the game. So I'd be more curious to know what advice did you or would you give Cody? So, what is there, some, is there something Cody could have done that would have made your life a lot harder?
0: I think if you would have tried to either take out one of my flanking models, either the hunter or try to jam up the the duet, I know it's tough, but because they can just walk out of combat, yeah. Ultimately, if you can just block him from getting to that marker, that's a turn that I'm not scoring. Um, the center was tough because he brought the fire golem into the center, and uh, I just I spiked just heavy damage with both the peacekeeper and Howard Langston to take him out. And that was really where a lot of his damage was coming from because of the armor. The burning doesn't really affect me. So it's just plinking away at me, but I have so much healing that all the plinking in the world isn't going to do anything.
1: Um, And you know, he's only going to have so much burning on that model. You're going to end up, you're going to end up eating through it. At first that, that fire golem can seem intimidating and you just can't get through him, but you start chipping away and and you can end up uh, going through. So nice win Adam. Uh, very very nice so guys we're going to take a quick break when we get back from this break we're going to talk about round two now round two was originally going to be a gaining grounds one strategy but they got a surprise and that surprise was they used one of the halloween strategies so that's the first thing we're going to talk about when we get back Howdy friends, Greg here. Nothing makes Malifaux easier than having the right tools. Here at the third floor, we love all the licensed Malifaux goodies from Custom Meeple. Not only are they helping support this podcast, they sell custom-made weird licensed tokens and terrain. They sell it all. Crew boxes, terrain, markers, tokens, and even a 3x3 full Malifaux board. Custom Meeple sells a complete M3E token set covering every marker and token you need to play custom meeple are the source for the official accessories for malifaux everything is designed by hand and authorized by weird games check them out at custommeeple.com that's with one m or follow the link in the show notes up your Malifo game and be sure to tell them craig from the third floor sent you if you use the promo code third floor friend all one word t-h-i-r-d f-l-o-o-r-f-r-i-e-n-d you'll get a five percent discount and help support the podcast it's valid on everything except retail products and playmats. So originally round two was going to be a public enemies round. Um, but now, uh, first of all, uh, Josh, when did you find out it was going to change? Did you find out at at, at the event or did uh, Jesse uh, tip his hand earlier?
2: So we we took a vote just before they, uh, he asked us before the, the tournament started whether we'd want to do it. And we took a vote just before round two. And by a narrow oh, margin... Wow. We went over to Trick or Treat, yeah. So it was a last minute change ish.
1: So you'd already played round one. Yeah. Yep. Holy cow! Okay, great. So the name of that it was something that uh, Weird put out. I think one of their Wednesday releases. They uh, the the Trick or Treat um, strategy. Can you give us an idea, Josh, what that was? So basically, and I I, I love this in concept, except
2: for one part. Okay. Um, you put four strategy markers on the center line, spaced apart. Uh, and you have a model go up and interact with those markers in order to get a piece of candy that is specific to the marker that you're on.
1: Uh, okay, so Marker one, two, three, and four, and you collect candy one, candy two, candy three, candy four. I got it. Okay. Right.
2: And you score, uh, and you can also go to the enemy leader or henchman, I think it was, and interact with them to get <laughs> a fifth piece of candy. Nice. Uh, and you score based on how many different pieces of candy you turn in at the end of any given round. So one, two, three, or four different pieces of candy gets you all four VP.
1: Interesting. So does that mean each round you need to then interact again with those markers to, to collect up? more score? candy. Oh, yeah. okay. And- That's interesting. Right, it's cool.
2: Except there's a fifty-fifty card flip where you can either get a piece of candy as a treat, or you get tricked and gain distracted plus one mm-hmm. on that model. Yeah, that's fun, but it's not competitive. I get yeah, that. Yeah, that's uh, that was a, a bummer, and it actually it affected more than one match. It decided the outcome of. So
1: yeah, um, but I tell you what, it's a design space. That's something it'll be interesting to see if we see something like that come up again because I like the fact that. Um, it's all on the center line, right? So it, it forces, it forces the action at a very specific place. It makes standard versus flank versus corner very different um, with that as a concept. Absolutely. Um, and I love the idea that you have to interact with different ones and the difficulty increases. It's a very interesting design space. So now you're sitting there going, okay, well, screw it. I'm just going to bring Karai again because it's what I know. And I have no idea what the hell's going on here. Who did you end up playing? Uh, so I ended up playing Jared, who would come second. Yep. And uh, what did Jared bring? Uh, So
2: he uh, originally when this was going to be public enemies, I said, "Okay, I'm Rezzers. I need something that's tanky for public enemy. I have a Von Stuck built. I can play that. That would be perfect. Nice tanky crew. Very killy. So I went with Kirai and Trick or Treat and then I ended up facing a Von Stuck crew. Oh, (laughs) (laughs)
1: jeez. Well, at least, you know, the crew, I guess. Yeah, Yeah, I knew what was going on. So I know I've got an idea of what your build is. I'd be curious to know what his Stuck crew looked like.
2: Yeah. So he took Von Stuck with the research assistant and did Anna Lovelace, the valedictorian, two students of Viscera, and a carrion emissary who I think had the
1: Whisper on it. Very interesting. Very interesting. Okay. Okay. Um, Not the list I would have brought, but... That doesn't mean it's bad. Um,
2: Very killy. Yeah. Very intimidating to look across the table. I
1: bet. I bet. Um, So uh, what was the deployment? Uh, So this was wedge deployment. It was a wedge deployment. Yeah. so um, So what's the game plan, Josh? And what schemes did
2: you end up picking? So in my mind, I can either against this crew, I'm either going fully aggressive to try to out-aggro him, or I'm just running away from him and playing defensive the whole game because he's got so many fewer models. Right. If I can draw one out and kill it, you know, I get a big advantage with just that one swing. Uh I decided to go very aggressive and just try to out-aggro him. And that worked kind of in my favor for the first turn and then the game kind of fell apart into us trading models the whole time.
1: Now, how often was he upgrading as part of that trade? Cause that's where Von Stuck can get nasty.
2: Yeah. He only managed to upgrade once in the entire game, which I think was probably the only reason I was able to tie it up.
1: I was about to say, that's a win. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> if, you, if, if Von Stuck only turns one of your models into his, um, uh, out of five turns, that's pretty good. So you guys ended up tying. Yep. Okay. Um, so looking back on it, um, Oh, I, actually, I didn't get your schemes. What were your schemes, Josh? I'm sorry.
2: Uh, so I ended up taking Hidden Martyrs on the two uh, Onryo and my crew and Breakthrough. Okay. Um, so looking back at it, Josh, w- what would you have done different? So I think I would have played a little bit less aggressively at the beginning and let him overextend because he seemed very willing to. Uh, and it's something that I should have read because he had Valley right up front. And I know exactly what was going to happen when I saw that. Um, and I had a nice little forest on my side of the board that I could have hid my guys behind and just waited for him to come in and then taken it in turn two and three. So I got a little too antsy and and you know engaged him too early.
1: Yeah, and we're starting to hear what I predicted a long time ago. We're starting to hear people go, "Oh wow, von Stuck is good." And I'm like, "Well, yeah, anybody who read him a while ago figured that out." Um, but um, the one thing that I think people are also you're starting to hear talk of is how important understanding and utilizing terrain is when you're against von stück so having you recognizing the fact that you had that a favorable terrain and leveraging that that's where you can throw a a wrench into his gears um so good for you josh um uh and you know he's 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 high high on the curve in my opinion i think von stück is one of if not the best keywords out there right now um and but you know um, something i've argued a million times is that the distance between the best and the worst and malifaux is very very tight as compared to the other games we were talking about um in the first segment um so it doesn't make von stück unbeatable um and you proved that um because um you know jared's a good player uh, so it's not like you're against uh um some uh, ringer or rookie um uh, playing that um so looking at what he did did he leave anything on the table was there points that he could have or should have scored in your mind Uh, so I think he
2: had, and, and this is the frustrating part of it is he had an opportunity to take the game because I misplayed and allowed one of his students of Viscera to get behind my line. Uh, he ended up having breakthrough as well. I was way across the board. I was at that point out of pieces to move my guys back quickly enough to stop him, um, and so all he needed to do was get that 50-50 flip in one of the turns to get that one extra piece of candy. And he got distracted. And yeah. That's frustrating. I mean, that's frustrating for me too,
1: because you know, I want to I want to be able to battle back and <laughs> well, it's um it's easy to do though, man. It's so, so easy to do. Did he put pressure on Karai or did he leave her alone? He mostly left her alone. She's She stayed buried in the back for most of the game. So
2: by the time he was able to come in on her, I really didn't care. She, he could waste the AP on
1: her. Got it. Got it. Well, that's a nice tie, Josh. How about you, Adam? Um, well, first off, what were your feelings about the switch? Did you vote for the trick-or-treat or against it?
0: I voted for it just because it's the, it's the first time we've played in a while, we while still wanting to remain competitive, also wanted to make it fun. Um, right. There was a difference in skill cap between some of the players. We had some newer players that were playing as well. Um, and in my opinion, public enemies is just a shit strat. Uh, yeah, so um, it's definitely
1: unforgiving. That's for sure. Yeah, and
0: it's just, it's just like you can make crews so see your opponent can literally not score like many yep. points, and then it becomes into a math problem. So I I did vote for the uh, for the change. I, I thought it would be a lot of fun but that also made me change what master I was going to play in that
1: round. So I had to start thinking. So who were you going to bring and what did you end up bringing?
0: Uh, so I was originally going to bring Deep into this because I have a Sandeep crew that I like a lot in Public Enemies because it really trades up. Um, and there's a ton of healing and survivability in that crew and a lot of extra activations. But I ended up taking uh, Colette instead because the strat is largely interaction heavy. Yep. Um and also knowing what my opponent was going to play ended up playing, um, made it probably the best option. So I looked okay. Out there. Okay,
1: who would you play and what did they bring?
0: Uh, I played Jake Brownell. he's a member of uh of our gaming group, the Knights of the Round Base. Um he plays he plays Neverborn and I know he's been toying around with Lucius lately. Uh he's also played Zarida in the past. So I started to lean towards he's gonna play Zarida or he's gonna play Lucius. Um I ended up taking Colette into that because I figured she would be able to she would be able to counter the positives that they would put out. Yep. Um he ended up taking Euripides.
1: Which Ooh, actually wow. surprised okay. me. Um
0: yeah. it was ultimately a good pick for him. I mean the game was really tight until the last turn, uh last turn or the turn before. But um there's a surprisingly large amount of movement in a Euripides crew, mostly because they can jump to the pillars. Yep. Um their bane being though that they're fifty mil bases, pretty much the entire crew. Yep. Uh, he brought Euripides, two changelings, Thune, uh, two Geryon, Lyssa, primordial magic, and the uh, Cyclops. Nice, yeah. I, I really liked the changelings with uh, with Euripides being able to throw out the ice pillars so he doesn't have to waste the AP on that. Yeah, um, and they're just you know, last last minute scheme runners and whatever they have to do. I ended up bringing Colette, three doves, uh, two Soulstone miners, one with magical training a steam arachnid swarm of the diesel engine, Carlos nice. Vasquez, and two chlorophyte, not the duet.
1: Interesting. Now, Thune is the boogeyman in that crew and, and, and in that list. So I think that when you're facing uh, Euripides' list, you, you, it, it, things are going to be built around what are you going to do about Thune. So I'd like to know what your thoughts were there.
0: Well, I mean, Thune, the, the big thing with Thune is he bears you, he turns you to an ice pillar. You have to destroy the ice pillar. I have two soulstone miners. They destroy terrain. Right. So um, I ended up going with Hidden Martyrs and picking my two Soul Soul Miners because if you get rid of one, the other one can bury, yep. me, turn before last, pop out, hide in the corner, whatever he has to do. Um, I also took Vendetta, and that's the reason I started with Split Chlorophy. Right. Because then my Chlorophy could pick the Cyclops, combine, still keep it. And then if you, it's almost impossible to kill a duet like entirely because then they die, then they turn into a mannequin. <laughs> it's just such a pain. Yeah, yeah. Uh, final score: uh, seven to four.
1: Very nice. Seven to four.
0: It was a good game. Um, a lot of it was played in the center, like we like we were talking about. But then Corfi had to actually try to figure out a way to get through his lines because he was clogging it up with Gurion and keeping the Cyclops in back. But the uh, Corfi managed to get back there. Ultimately, I scored three on the strat. Uh, I scored both schemes. Um, big part of it was because of the 50 mil bases, I was able to, I first, I think first turn I buried, um, Euripides. And then the second turn, I just had Colette within three inches of all of his stuff. And then yeah. constantly just putting out distracted like crazy. Thune couldn't hit anything. She was always at distracted three. And then sure. she would just, somebody would attack her. She would bury next turn.
1: She would drop down, poof out distracted and just really jammed up most of the crew. Well, I got to tell you, Adam, I like Colette going up against, um, up against him. And so when we hear talk about Euripides and I can't wait to, to find people to do a deep dive, I'm still, still finding, try to find, uh, uh, the people to have for that. But everybody talks about, you know, the difficulty and the frustration of having such large bases, right? So as a Euripides player, um, understanding and being able to master the movement with all of those large bases, um, is key to being successful with them. What I don't think is talked about enough yet though, is that clogs up your opponent too. Uh, it it allows you as the Euripides player to really inhibit. And that's, what's nice about your pick. As you're not nearly as as impacted by that as um, a lot of other crews out there would be. Correct. That's that's what caused the the jam up with the duet
0: was the duet was running up the side. He ended up jamming with like a, a Gurion and like between terrain, so to go around, it was just it was hard to get through. So inevitably, Colette had to use an AP to presto changeo, move the duet to another place, switch it with a Dove, and get her out that way. But um, I think I think Euripides has a ton of play. I really do. I think I do too. He, I think he's uh, overlooked. I think the old ways is kind of silly, and you can probably build around it. Yeah. Um, but I, I, I like the crew, and he's he's great with the crew. I've played him before. Uh, the changeling thing really, really uh, tricked me out, and it was really tight going through, like, the first three turns. It was only like the last two turns where I was able to start removing some pieces and uh, picking up a lot of those interacts because I had models that could interact well engaged. gauged.
1: Yeah. And I think to be honest with you, I think Euripides is similar to Colette and it's a high skill cap, right? Um, I think that uh, there's definitely two layers to playing Euripides in the same way as that I feel with uh, Colette as well. Um, so I agree with you. And I think once people start realizing some of that second level play, the movement being a big part of it, the using those bases to your advantage, not your disadvantage and being able to make that an asset, not a liability, um, I think is key. So that's very cool. So, guys, let's take another break. We'll talk about the final round. We're gonna talk about round three, which was not changed last minute it was flank and symbols of authority we'll be right back howdy friends craig here you deserve a new playmat here on the third floor we use mats by mars they are scratch resistant waterproof wet erase marker compatible almost free of glare and lighter than neoprene mats by mars gives you over 40 designs to choose from you pick a mat pick a design and then you pick an overlay like one for marvel crisis protocol star wars legion or even malifaux third edition those overlays will really speed up your deployment and make the placement of objective markers so easy use our promotion code in the show notes to get a 10 percent discount on your first order in the notes of your order you can even request the third floor logo on your mat for free that makes the best mat in the business even a little better. So get some new mats, save yourself some money and help support the show. Go to matsbymars.com. All the details are in the show notes including the discount code So round three, we've got Adam coming in with two nice wins. We've got Josh coming in with a win and a tie. So we're going to need to see Josh make this win in order for him to make the podium. So the pressure's on there. Adam theoretically could tie or even lose and potentially still make podium. Uh, But uh, I would assume he's probably at top table at this point. Let's talk about the pool. It's going to be flank, symbols of authority, with research mission, take prisoner, spread them out, assassinate, and claim jump. So Adam, were you in fact at top table?
0: yeah it was uh myself and uh another one of my gaming group the jake martin oh okay we've played uh we played several times in the past we played actually some live games during the during this whole thing um and uh he's 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 a reserve player and into almost the same matchup he's brought uh jack daw several times and that's what I was anticipating going into it
1: is that what you faced? Nope. <laughs> it was not. <laughs> All right. He's so you, you're zag. thinking, yeah, you're thinking Jackdaw. So you decide you're going to bring. Well,
0: I'm thinking Jackdaw. So I'm, I'm going to bring Sandeep because I have a list where if I think I'm going into Jackdaw, I can bring Sandeep and raspy. Um, right. And they gel fairly well because of the, because of the elementals. Uh, yep. I usually bring a silent one in my Sandeep crew too. So, um, and she likes that matchup, so I was expecting that. I figured I'd bring Sandeep just to make sure I still had that option, and that synergy would be there. Um. So, what does he end up revealing?
1: Uh, he ends up bringing Reva. Oh actually. wow! No kidding. Yep, yeah, he brought Reva. All right. So you then switch up. So what was your what did your Sandeep list end up being without Raspy?
0: Yeah, I ended up not going with Raspy. Um, I ended up doing what's something more the a little more of my standard. Sandeep crew, especially into something like symbols. Uh, I went Sandeep, Bonasuva, Kandara, because you're never going to leave home without her. No. Uh, two Windgammon, a Silent One with Magical Training, uh, Fire uh, fire Gammon, and the Ice Golem. Okay.
1: Okay. And what does is, what
0: is, uh, his uh, Reva crew look like? Uh, he's got Reva, um, the Corpse Candle, obviously, uh, Graveyard Spirit, two druggers to Lampaz, and he actually took Vincent because I was playing Sandeep. Right. Which normally I would consider Vincent a suboptimal choice, but going into Sandeep, it's it's a tech piece for sure.
1: Yeah, I mean, he's a phenomenal tech piece. I think um, depending on the matchup can be great even out of keyword. Um, But to your point, in the wrong matchup, he's garbage in keyword. Um, So um, uh, very nice. And so I'm real anxious. First, let's cut to the chase. What was the final score? Uh, Final score was 8-2. Oh, geez, okay.
0: (laughs) It was 8-2. And we've we've played some tight games, me and Jake. And and ultimately, this game I think came really down to like the first two turns. Um, he got a little forward with his lampads, mm-hmm. and I was able to leap with my gammon. I was obe- able to obey my wind gammon, both to walk once, and then they were able to leap beyond the lampads, push them away from their pyre markers, and I was able to take out one of the lampads. Turn one, and the other one yeah. early turn two.
1: Yeah. Yeah, they, they have a hard time with with uh, defending against movement. Um, so that makes sense. So I guess my first first real question for you, Adam, is um, I have uh, locked down two people who um, are going to do the Rev a Deep Dive with me. Um, there are two people whose opinion I i align with right so i've i i value what their thoughts on malifaux and both are convinced that she is competitive now that she is the real deal now i'd like to know uh, after facing her whether you think she really jumped up hard uh based off of the changes oh yeah
0: the update definitely helped her definitely yeah. helped her uh she I, i've played jake before with ritherman and if if he didn't if he didn't overextend those lampads that's that's a game right down the line. No kidding. Um, I think Sandeep has a little more... He has a little more opportunity in there because I can largely ignore the the pyre markers. Kandara doesn't care. Banasova doesn't care. My fire golem benefits from them, and I can blow them up. So... It, it, it does tend to go a little more So way. Also, Sandy's kind of silly. He's pretty good. Yeah. yeah. he's pretty good. But I mean, she's more than competitive. She's a she's a very good master. I don't think Rezzors really has a terrible master. I
1: think probably Big Morning's like the worst master in Rezzors. Yeah. And he's not that I mean, he's yeah, I agree. He's I think he's bottom of the heap and he's competitive. Um, yeah. especially in the right pool. Um, he's competitive. But yeah, it's hard as a Rezzer player, it's hard to find a place for him right now. Um But I do think, unlike in two, Rezzers are much closer to Arcanists as far as having the choices. Um, The one thing I've always said about uh, Arcanists, especially in three, is that I feel like they have some of the best internal balance that we've seen of all the factions. I think that they have very viable keywords throughout. um, And I think Rezzers, unlike any other time I can think of, has the same thing, uh, to your point. Especially now, and I haven't played it yet, um, I haven't played against it, but the talk I'm hearing of reva now being a viable makes it a big deal. How much of a factor was Vincent? Uh he ended up getting rid of my
0: fire golem, but I think that was around turn 3. Yeah, he, uh, he executed it, uh, ex- exercised it. But um that was after the fire golem did his did his work. Um ultimately that's what he did. I mean, That's what you bring him for. Yeah. I don't know if that was worth the points, because I didn't end up summoning much more after that. I generally, when I play in Sandeep, is I usually do my summoning turn one and turn two. I draw a bunch of cards from the models I'm making. They turn into the big guy. They carry all the focus. And then the turns after that, I'm really using his Obey abilities more. And uh, if I do summon something, it's going to be a poison bomb, and it's just dead anyway.
1: What what do you, in your mind? What could uh, what could he, he have done um, that would have made your life a little bit tougher? So if someone is listening right now and they're frustrated playing against Sandeep, um, what are some things that um, you can tell us that uh, make things a little bit tough? Uh, you can you can
0: uh, kill Kandara, yeah, <laughs> because uh, she's she goes a long way. Um, again, but the thing with Kandara is in this particular situation, I took a research mission and claim jump. Research okay. mission is of no-brainer with Sandeep. You're putting out twenty different markers all over the board yep. just by existing. So I took research mission with him and I took claim jump with Kandara. The reason I take claim jump with Kandara is she can get out of engagement. She uh, she's three countenance, so she's harder to hit. She's a henchman, so she can stone to prevent damage. Also bring the silent one, I can heal her from a distance. So I took her for the claim jump. Um, but if you kill her if you kill her early on, she's gonna it's going to really reduce the number of card draw I have, which is yep. huge.
1: Yeah, yep. that's a big deal. Well, well, congratulations, Adam. That's a nice little win. <laughs> big, mm-hmm. big diff to finish off. That's not easy to do on a uh, final table. So, Josh, this is the pressure's on. Um, you're looking at this a symbols of Authority. Uh, you've got Karai. Did you make any changes or it's pretty much the same list? So there's, there's an optional change
2: that I'd take for this pool, which is to remove Jakuna and stick in another Shikome just to have a little bit more speed. Uh, yeah. But I ended up not doing that because of my opponent's pick. Okay. So I was, I was up against Jake for round three and he was still playing Euripides. I don't know that he did that for game two, but, um, and they're, they're just such a huge crew that I thought that Jakuna could get a little bit more in there and, uh, draw them into her hazardous aura and make life miserable for a 50 mil if she stuck herself in an avenue.
1: Sure. So what uh uh so we know your list. Um does he have pretty much the same list Adam rattled off from round two? Uh, was, uh Euripides, Primordial, Thune, and Cyclops, three Gigants, and a changeling. Nice. Okay. So he still brought the changelings in. That's a really interesting play. I kind of like that idea. Um I'm gonna have to think about it some more. Um so how does this play out?
2: So he spawned a ton of ice pillars immediately turn one, to try to block me out. He had a lot of avenues into his guys and he walled them all off very defensively. Uh, uh And it worked out because I think for the first three or four turns, the first three turns, it was a zero scoring game. Wow. We, you know, met in the middle and picked each other off and maneuvered and counter maneuvered and nothing happened. Interesting. Yeah. So what, what, what broke the stalemate? So, eventually, we knew we had to score something, uh, and I saw an opportunity where I could move into the center. I had claim jump on um, on Dasuba, and okay. he had left the center clear to go after some of the markers on the sides. Uh, unfortunately, he, I think, had a misread on how claim jump worked and thought that I needed to have a scheme marker down in the center in order to score it, so he wasn't paying attention to that at all, and I managed to get a <laughs> cheeky point there. That's the worst. Uh, (laughs) Yeah, that's a bummer. But ultimately, that's that's what got me the game because the only two, uh, the only other points that we scored were a twin research mission, one point
1: for each of us, and one point on the strat for each of us. Okay. All right. Very nice. Um, So, what's your big takeaway on Euripides? Then, I mean, you heard Adam and I talk about it a little bit.
2: Yeah, so he, I mean, he's an excellent defensive tool. And um, what surprised me was that Euripides is extremely mobile when he wants to be. He inched his way up, you know, four inches at a time for most of the game and then vanished from just behind his center and ended up next to one of my markers to, <laughs> to interact with it. So yeah. when he gets those ice pillars out all over the board, you know, that's that becomes his playground
1: yeah yeah he becomes a uh what is a ride the rails kind of thing It's just kind of suddenly it's just everywhere um at any point um so final score was uh it ended up three to two Oh, wow. So tight games, was tight. low scoring. Yeah. Very nice. And so that ended up putting you into third. Adam, you got first. Uh, you guys got to play in person, which was awesome. Um, what we're going to do, guys, we're going to take a break. When we get back from this break, I've got an opportunity here. I've got a Karai player and a Sandeep player. So we've got to talk about something that's been a bit of a buzz here in the uh, October, November timeframe. And that's talking about summoners and whether that's a problem or not. So we'll be right back. There are so many online retailers, it can be hard to find one that is trustworthy, has great prices, along with some reliable customer service. On the third floor, we love ordering our gaming goodies from Gadzooks Gaming. Their selection of terrain, miniatures, dice, custom decor, and conversion bits are curated for gamers by gamers. You will find they have what you need, and what you didn't know you needed, take your gaming fun to the next level if you mention third floor wars in the cart notes of your order you'll also get a free gift and you'll help support the podcast check out gadzooksgaming.com and mention third floor wars on checkout to get that free gift So it seems like once a month, there's a thread that appears on AWP that's going to end up with 175 different comments. It's going to be the big discussion. It's going to spawn three other posts. It's going to cause two episodes on podcast A and podcast B. Um, And definitely for the fall, it was uh, a post about summoning. and it was essentially, you know, making a case or at least presenting the argument that uh, summoning is a problem. Uh, it presented, which I appreciated, some potential solutions. So often we see things where it just says this is a problem, and then they walk away. Um, I appreciate uh, solutions being offered. Um, I will tell you that, um, the insider insight series that I've been doing on the podcast has made me realize that I don't know Jack about designing games. And quite frankly, neither does anybody else except the people that are actually doing it. Um, it's shocking how many people uh, think they know what they're talking about when it comes to designing games. And it's really a small number of people that do. Um, so I'm a little wary sometimes of people, you know, saying this is how you're going to fix it. Um, but let's talk about it a little bit. So Adam, um, I assume that you came across it. I don't know whether you listened to some of the podcasts that covered it or not. Um, what is your initial kind of hot take, um, when it was thrown out there? Okay.
0: So I think summoning at baseline is always going to be very good. Um, you're almost always going to win the attrition game and you are almost always going to benefit from having extra AP because that's what wins, wins games is AP. Right. Um, as far as being broken, I don't think that's the case. I think it's very master dependent on how powerful the summoning is. Okay. Um, and it's like so. Like for certain, for, in certain instances, if your master that's summoning can summon plus. So I'm summoning plus I'm an obey master. I'm summoning plus I'm a buff master. I'm summoning plus I hit hard. If they're doing something more than summoning, um, it's, it's, it's a little more problematic. If there's card draw or any kind yeah. of other resource replenishment, it's a problem. That's why is so strong right now. Because since yep. the upgrade, Dashiell has card draw. He has easy access to soul stones. So there's really the negative to summoning being it's resource intensive, but then you get those resources back. It's the same with Sandeep. I can draw like 13 cards in one yeah. turn. It doesn't, I, it doesn't matter if I have to stone or if I have to like, just sh- shuffle for a card, I'm going to find it. Um, I think that's the biggest problem in specific masters. Because like, when you go to Tara. We're not seeing a lot of tower right now. Yep, um, and she's a summoner. That's what she's supposed to be. Instead, she's really just an excellent scheme runner. Right. So it's really not summoning that's the problem. I think it's the so Maybe some of the summoners might have too much resource, um, too much resource replication, and not enough, um, not enough reliance on those.
1: Um, so, Josh, in my mind, it's one thing to say uh, summoning is good. Uh, which Adam just said, uh, you know, summoning strong, and, and there's there's obvious arguments to be made for that. Um, it's not; it doesn't take a brain surgeon to to understand uh, the math behind why a summoner can be good. It's another thing to say they're uh, broken, right, or they're a problem, is as the other phrase. Um, so I'd be curious in your mind, Josh. A, do you think they're good? I'd be surprised if you didn't. But do you think that it's a problem?
2: I mean, just using this tournament as an example, I was able to take Kirai into three very different uh pools very comfortably because of the versatility that summoning offered me i mean you know that's that's the main reason why i can play the same list into all of these games uh pretty confidently and i think that part is the problem when you can take when you can take dreamer into all three of your games when you can take dashal into all three of your games and say you know, even if I don't really know what my opponent is going to take, even if they know I'm going to take a summoner, it's not that much of a problem. That's that's a little dicey.
1: Yeah. Yeah. It. Um, so in your mind, I mean, is Karai taking over um, Rezzers then at this point? Is she just over the I mean, if she's she's, you know, the best summoner in Rezzers right now, I would think, um, or the most effective one. I mean, I von Stuk is kind of but not really right. Um, uh, I mean, what else is there? just trying to think if there's anybody else that I would label that. Yeah. They're really, I mean, they're the main two and Kirai is far and away the best. Yeah. And
2: I, the part of the, part of the issue is like, what, what am I, what, am, what else am I going to pick? Am I hamstringing myself by taking something else? And if the answer right. is yes, which a lot of the time it is, then, you know, what the, the part of the, part of the greatness of of Melifo is this versatile space where you're supposed to have to pick your crews and pick very carefully. And uh, when you don't need to do that, it kind of turns into a completely different game and a kind of a lesser game.
1: So in your mind, Josh, is there uh, a skill cap involved here? So do you think that um, it's only a problem in the right hands or just inherently, you know, uh, summoning is a problem?
2: I I mean, it is only a problem in the right hands because there tend to be these weaknesses that can be exploited, but if you know how to get around that, then, I mean, there's there's not much weakness to Kirai when she can sit in the back all game and spam Goryeo right? <laughs> spam Gorio right. into the other player's face. Uh, as long as you know how to prevent people from coming in on you, that's that's where you're stuck.
1: So you know, and Adam hinted, hinted at it um, is um, you know making resources the the constraint. Um, you you want everybody that's playing Malifo to have to ha- ha- make decisions, and they, you want them not to be easy, easy decisions. They need to pick one, or they need to pick the other. Um, And to Adam's point, you give a summoner a bunch of card draw, and suddenly one of the bigger pressures that they have on them it kind of goes away. What are other pressures that Karai faces specifically, where you think um, you know not only you know obviously she needs the cards? but what else does she need so if someone going into Karai wants to put pressure on her where can she find where can they find a place to put pressure on so
2: in pretty much every case i'd say press pressuring the summoner themselves is going to be the way that you hit them the hardest cuz if i lose my kirai turn one or turn two that's that's a massive thing even if she's engaged turn one or turn two and i have to worry about defending her you know, keeping people around her, discarding cards to protection onto somebody else. That's going to drain my hand. That's going to occupy my mind. Like it can often be hard to get in on summoners, but if you want to win against them and you don't have another advantage, somebody to exercise, then that's the way to your, that's the way you're going to win.
1: Adam, is that how I beat Daschle? Just go in on him?
0: You can, but, I mean, chances are he has an executioner somewhere. You know, I think a lot of the problem with some of these summoners, too, like in Karai's case, is just survivability. Like, she's not easy to get rid of, so even if you do go into her, I mean, she's probably still going to stick around. Granted, it's going to use some of her cards, but everybody has low cards that they can pitch. Um, I, I... I think for in some cases that is the way. I think in other cases, because they did they did a rebalancing act when Actually, went to third edition as far as summoning and limiting the amount of sometimes you can summon, which yep. I think was a good change. I agree. Um, they also balanced it with the pass tokens, which, while I mean the trade off is pretty good. You give my enemy a pass token for a bunch of extra AP. I mean it's still something. But as far yep. as the as far as the number of times you can summon that change So now the attrition game isn't automatically going to be won by the summoner. Um, if I summon, if I summon two okay. fire go- gammon and turn them into a fire golem, and now you kill my game, my golem, it's going to take a little while to get that back. Yep. So they did a good job with that, but it still exists where I can just constantly summon in quality AP, which becomes a problem.
1: So in your mind, Adam, is there something that, uh, that the guys in, the, in Atlanta could potentially do as far as gaining grounds too. So is there something they could do in season two, do you think that would um, lower the um, problem? Um, so is there, is there, and maybe one way to think about it is there schemes or strategies that are already in place um, like a schema um, approach that being a summoner doesn't really give you the advantage or it's just being a summoner is best in all four strats right now. And you're, it's going to help you in all your schemes.
0: Well, they—I think they already made some changes and some fixes when they went to in grounds one by getting rid of a lot of those positional schemes yep. like outflank, for example. There's no reason why Dashell couldn't just summon a mounted guard, have it run over there that turn, and bam, mm-hmm. I score it. There's nothing you can do to stop it. Um, right. I think a lot of I think I think addressing mm-hmm. that was a good was a big issue. Um, but I really can't think of. I think the, really the answer is to reduce those summoners that have unlimited access to resources and bring that down. Cause that's really where the problem is. It's like there's, there's maybe three, four masters ultimately, where they just have a bunch of card draw. They have right. um, access to soul stones. The stuff they summon in has a lot of quality AP. So if you reduce those resources, I think that brings them down the notch where they need to be.
1: So I'd be curious, Josh, um, when as a Rezor player does Karai lose to another master? So when you're looking at a pool, um, what is it that you're going to see in the pool where you're going to go, you know what, I'm not going to take Karai. I'm going to take somebody else. Um, so when does she get beat out in your mind? Ooh. Um, so actually, the our game
2: three, I was up against Neverborn, and it could have been Dreamer. And Dreamer drives me crazy because he is too tanky too annoyingly tanky for my guys to get through it's not you know they're they're the nightmares have terrifying they are making it hard for me to hit them they're draining my hand um that sort of thing is the thing that's going to make me question taking karai and okay. it's, it's the thing that i was most scared about going into that is oh man is he going to pick dreamer if i pick your and he picks dreamer i'm on you know the wrong foot and even, you know, Pandora has terrifying stuff, anything that's going to make it difficult for me and difficult for my models to do their job, I guess, because I'm defending on my summons. Right. To uh, I'm, def- I'm depending on my summons to get the job done. And if they yeah. can't do their jobs, if their lives are made difficult, I don't, I don't have many ways around that. It doesn't matter yeah. if I can summon if I can't do what I want to.
1: So so the key to counter a summoner is bringing another summoner. Is that what we learned?
2: (laughs) (laughs) A key to countering a summoner is bringing something that makes their life difficult.
1: Yeah. I guess. No, but your terrifying piece uh, point was a good point, Josh. Um, And uh, people have heard me talk about how good terrifying is. And um, especially if you um, are playing. Uh, a, a keyword that that doesn't handle it well. Well, gentlemen, that was, uh, that was excellent. Again, um, super envious. Um, I'm able to, I've got a very small group of people that I'm able to play with in person up here on the third floor. Um, so I have been able to sneak some games in and it's just, it's amazing what we took for granted um, being good to go into the game shop on Tuesday nights and playing um, yeah. and, you know, having, I mean, here in North Carolina, it was rare that we didn't have two or three tournaments somewhere in North Carolina to go to. And, um, Uh, and it'll make me appreciate it when it comes back. That's for sure. Josh, is there any uh, plugs or shout outs you wanted to get out there?
2: Uh, I, don't, I don't have anything.
1: Nope. All right, good. How about you, grid. Adam? <laughs> uh, yeah,
0: no, um, just uh, shout out to the Knights of the Round Base, my gaming group. did a hell of a job. I'm proud of everybody for showing up. We're building the meta steadily as much as we can. We got a couple new players in the area. That's great. Um,
1: and check us out on Instagram at uh, Knights of the Round Base. Beautiful. And I'll have a link for it in the show notes. Adam, Josh, always good talking to you guys. Um, and for those of you that stuck around to the end, thanks for listening. Take care. Be sure to follow us on Facebook, Twitter, YouTube, and Twitch so you don't miss uh, the avalanche of content we create. Links are in the show notes. Be sure to check out our shop on thirdfloorwars.com for the latest in gaming apparel and gear. There you'll also find the latest information for the U.S. Faux Tour. Find out where you rank in your conference or even in the entire United States. Get those models built, painted, and ready so we can see you at the next U.S. Faux Tour Masters event. Please take a moment to write a review of this pod on your favorite platform. Rating and reviewing helps us find more listeners almost as cool as you are. Be sure to share this feed with all of your friends who love tabletop gaming. Thanks for listening. Howdy folks, Craig here. Now if you love gadgets as much as we do, you're going to love the new Third Floor Wars Gadget Bundle from Schooner Labs. Branded with the logo of your favorite podcast, it comes with two measuring multi-tools, A compass stepper for those tight and important movements, along with a compact dashboard to track your turn, strat, and scheme scoring, along with your soul stones and pass tokens. It is the perfect bundle for anyone who plays Malifaux or just wants to look cool while doing it. The link is in the show notes. Check them out and help support your favorite gaming podcast. Uh, what was the name of the uh that strategy trick-or-treat yeah. trick-or-treat okay
0: it's a million times it was, it was actually supposed to be public enemies okay. a, public enemies is a shit
1: strat so i don't disagree <laughs> <laughs> I'm okay with that
2: all
1: right, all right. <clears throat> what's your gin of choice adam
0: uh, I like Uncle Val's. Uncle Val's Botanical is really nice. It's a very tasty gin. Um, it's just I, I have some elderflower uh, tonic that I mix it with and stuff. So it's just interesting. smooth You but, are uh, fancy. Yeah, but I just went over there and realized my gin was practically empty. So now I'm just doing a Tito's and tonic. So That's good. My Tito's basic, is good, man. My basic
1: drink. Tito's is good. All right. I'll bring us back. Um, uh, so uh, we neither of you played each other in any of these three rounds, so that didn't happen. Nope. Um, uh, so what I'll probably do is I'll start with you, Josh, if that's all right. <laughs> all right. At Malipo. So our guests today are Adam Talbot. And Josh, I should have asked how to pronounce your last name, and I didn't. Gaida. Gaida, thank you. Yeah. My guests today are Adam Talbot. you still here look uh the podcast is over and you sat through all of the breaks and bloopers well i mean if you're here might as well run over to patreon.com and become a supporter don't forget to rate and review this podcast too while you're at it on whatever platform you're listening to i do appreciate you sticking around take
2: care